podcast, Living the Authentic Life. And I am the Vintage Contessa, and I have an amazing co-host today, Count de Monet. Tell him why that's your name, Rob. Because my wife is the Vintage Contessa, and I count the money. <laughs> but I'm also known as Rob Cremosta, and good morning to all of y'all. And it happens to be Rob's birthday, so we'll be celebrating with cupcakes. But I want to jump over and welcome one of my favorite people in the world, literally, John Cangelosi. He is my cousin, yes, but he is a total uh, icon, and I love to follow him. When I call him and text him, I never know what time zone he's in, what he's doing. Lately, he's been in Houston, digging deep into his business and his background, which is uh, dermatology pathology, and he has labs here in Houston, and he also has worked you have what eight offices throughout the country six yeah six so we we well first of all you're making me blush i don't know if that shows up on on the screen here but um that was a lot uh yeah it's been this whole COVID thing has really changed um i mean everyone's sort of living patterns and mine is no exception to that but uh you know it's we're living in crazy weird times but i think we're all sort of realizing who we are and um, really I think it, it, it's allowed us to really understand what's the most important things in our lives and um, and for us to focus on that. And I mean we have family dinner together at, well family lunch and dinner every night which is something we didn't have before COVID so there are yeah. some good things. Well let's go back into your family life. Okay. You grew up out in Missouri City. We are Fort Bend County kids That's right. but you went to Strike Jesuit and you also are an Aggie. Gig'em whoop. Thank you. Yep. Whoop. And um but uh, your journey at AM was a little different than mine because you had a 4.0, and I will not be sharing my GPA. Rob, you probably won't share yours. They had a 4.0, but that was two semesters combined. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so tell us, like, you're at AM, then you decide to go to medical school. What, what was that journey about? Well, um, gosh, I think you got to take it back a little farther than that to growing up in our family with very um, – I guess, vocal and I wouldn't say demanding parents, just very opinionated parents who um, I think made it very clear that I was not going to go into the family business. So we <laughs> needed to figure out a different <laughs> career path, which at the time was might have been like, OK, I'm not sure why, but I, I get it. And then and then now, you know, you look back and you understand why they sort of Thank felt God. the way that yes. they did. And it worked out for the best for sure. But um you know, I remember always in high school, I was always good at math and science and whatnot. And uh, and when my brothers and stuff were out working and doing construction or fixing things, I was reading books and, you know, um, trying to do science experiments and whatnot. So I think my dad had, had realized early that maybe physician life was kind of maybe the best thing for me. So I started shadowing doctors and whatnot. And every doctor I felt like I watched is something I wanted to do. So I would shadow an anesthesiologist. Be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I want to do that. Or an ophthalmologist. Yeah, eyeballs are sweet. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> and so, but that's the high school mentality. And then um, and then you get into college and then you really need to buckle down because you know that med school is tough. But, you know, by the time, the weird thing about med school is that by the time you have to apply so early, you have to start getting your, you know, your, you get your biomedical science. I did biomedical science background. A lot of people do science and undergrad as a, as a um, taking the prerequisite courses. You have to start so early, but yet 
you really don't know about yourself um, tremendously at that age. And so you're constantly, it's like, you know, every year is a different major memories and changes and you're, you're changing personally. And so what you might have thought you wanted to do or be at the beginning is not who you want to do or be at the end. And I, but you have to commit really early to this pathway. And so I, you know, just kind of went through the motions because I knew that, well, it, it was what my parents wanted. And, you know, it seems like cool. And when I tell people I'm going to be a doctor, everyone's like, oh, that's awesome. And then, you know, then, then you, then you get in and you're like, well, man, maybe I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Or I don't, maybe I want to do something different. Um, but you've already sort of committed and you put all that time and effort and all this expectations of everyone in your life, knowing that's what you want to do. And so, you know, you, I ended up there because of expectations of my parents, but then I ended up really enjoying it once I got there because of being in it and realizing what I could contribute to the field and to, you know, society and whatnot. So what you think you want at the beginning is not necessarily what you want at the end. And sometimes you're not sure if you make the right decisions, but you know, you always try to make the best of what you have. And so I I feel like though that journey is what helps you define, you know, who you are and, and where you end up. And so, so you're a doctor, but you have multiple businesses. I even know you have interest in some car yeah. dealings, et cetera. Which do you enjoy more or how did it all come together that you don't want to just sit in and see clients or see patients every day? So the background of being where I thought, you know, my parents have kind of pushed me into this um, field and then kind of uh, going with the flow and then realizing, well, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. And then, and then, and then thinking, well, I'm here and I want to make, I want to make this the best for me. Well, that's where the business aspect of things came. And, and going back to kind of our childhood and growing up, we grew up in a, in a family of entrepreneurs pretty much. You know, I tell the story of where our grandfathers came and why, you know, everyone always says, well, why'd you go to A&M? And, you know, for people that know me and you, Danae, I mean, we're not the stereotypical, you know, A&M, you know, Aggie farmers, farmers <laughs> and whatnot. And even though we went there, we know that that's not exactly the stereotype doesn't run true to mostly anyone that's there. But however, from an outsider's perspective, that is the stereotype. And we tend to buck that trend. So a common question is, how'd you end up at A&M or not at UT or, you know, mm-hmm. some of the other more liberal schools and whatnot. And, and, uh, you know, a big part of that's our background. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, our grandfather made it to College Station because he didn't have, he was only really knew how to work with shoes as a cobbler. There wasn't much work when he came into the States and then being in New Orleans. And so someone told him that there was this little town at College Station that had a bunch of students that wore a bunch of boots and they might need work on those boots. And, you know, he packed it, packed up the family and moved down there and set up a shop and made life for himself. And so that sort of spirit is what I think runs through our whole family. But it it's the reason why my journey is what it is is because we grew up going to A&M games because our fathers went to A&M because it was convenient for them they lived there in College Station it was cheap and it was a great school and and so then but their passion for the school bled into the kids and so we grew up going to games and whatnot and I didn't apply to any other school besides A&M because I was pretty much I drank the Kool-Aid since I was as much as, as far back as I can remember and then so that that gets you there and then but we grew up in a in a in a family of entrepreneurs, and and I'd say that my you know my cousins are all entrepreneurs, and my uncles are all entrepreneurs. And everyone seems to own their own business or do something, and um, and so I wanted to have that same lifestyle. And growing up in a small business where we my I say that my people that worked for my our parents 
were kind of like family members and people that, you know, some like Uncle Mike, you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't an uncle, but yet I've known him as much as any other family member. And we would have family gatherings and social, you know, Christmas gatherings and Christmas parties and whatnot. And the employees were just as part of our family as our blood relatives. And so I wanted to have that for myself and for the family that I would eventually have. And so I knew that I was, if I was going to go into business, I was, if I was going to go into medicine, I was going to do the entrepreneurial business route because I wanted to create that lifestyle and that environment for me and my family that I grew up in. And, so. and, and having a family, you say you have your work family, making money and making money with your family and your work family and helping provide for all of them. Money is not much fun if you don't have friends that have it with you and if you can't grow and build something together and your yeah. teams that you've built because of that enthusiasm and that and that bond is what's made Sages a, a great company and make you to grow and build your successful companies because you're a team you're one big group that works together uh, absolutely and and you you know i started Sages with me and a buddy of mine from high school and then and then a buddy of mine from med school that i've known since junior high um and we started small we started in a little a friend of mine owned a graphic design company and he had a little office that, or he had a, an area that used to develop film. And, you know, he's like, I haven't developed film in this, um, in, in this room for years. Cause it's all digital now. Uh, you can, and it made for a nice lab with, you know, linoleum floors, white walls. And there was a little office across the hallway and he's like, you can, you know, you can have it if you like. And so I made it into a little lab and I even shared a secretary and, you know, they say fake it till you make it. Well, I, when she saw the one light that came up for my number, I said, answer it as if you're my secretary and, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, know what all the other line will know any different. And, but you got to get started that way because you have limited resources. And, um, and so, but, and, and I also started by doing all the stuff that I would normally hire someone to do because you don't have a lot of money to hire people and you have a lot of time on your hands because you don't have a lot of work to do. So, you know, we started small. Um, we got 10 referrals, uh, 5C specimens our first week. I remember I batched them all up on a Friday because I wanted to make wanted to feel like I had a lot of work to do, and uh, you know, I love and, that. and then you get it all done, and you're like, well, that was that that was fun. Okay, I guess I got to get back on the road, and so, you know, fast forward to where we are now, and we do five six thousand a month. I mean, a week. So you know, we've grown quite a bit, and and on that is you know, there's there's a lot that went from starting out at the beginning to where we are now, but in that has been bringing on people that you are, that are not just employees. Um, they're friends or people that you trust that, uh, you know, that believe in, in the mission that you're trying to um, accomplish. Uh, they believe in, in what you're trying to build and, um, and you hope that your success, that they follow in your success and that you all share in all the riches together. And you also share in all the pain together. Well, and, I love that you yeah. said committed to the path because I think as a, entrepreneur we have to commit to the path and but then there's this chance to pivot and all these things come up and you aren't sure like when when it's time to pivot when it's time to try something new and then COVID hit and we all had no choice other than to pivot yeah so tell us about your pivot so our pivot was well to, to show you what we had to pivot from, uh, most of our referrals come from dermatologists. So uh-huh. as you can imagine- They were all shut down. They were all yeah. shut down or not necessarily shut down. Some of them were you know, considered essential personnel okay. and essential businesses. However, 
when you're going, when you have a list of things that you're going to do um, and the world gets shut down and you're afraid to go outside the house because you might get infected and whatnot, dermatology is probably not on the top of your list. It's probably mm -hmm. going to the grocery store. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's going to maybe the cardiologist because you have your heart medicine that you need to take. Um, you know, skin conditions can somewhat be put to the side, um, general skin conditions, obviously. And so by nature, even though the clinics were open, nobody was really going. And so because of that, we weren't getting many referrals on Cash skin flow testing. Cash started to dwindle. Cash flow started to dwindle. Specimens volume started to dwindle. Um, there just wasn't anything to do because mm -hmm. we're, and we're open. We're essential personnel. We're a laboratory. But just because you're open doesn't mean that you're getting any business. And so I think that was the real scary part. And not knowing when that was going to change or, or, or alleviate was, was really difficult. And you... And then you, but you have employees, um, you know, we have over a hundred employees. We have, you know, they, they depend on us for the paychecks and the healthcare mm -hmm. and, um, and they're scared because they're not sure what to do. We don't even know what to do because no one in the country knows what to do because no one knows what's going on. And so, you know, you try to make the best decisions with the information that you're provided and you try not to second guess yourself or mm -hmm. try to look back um, because, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but you don't have that luxury when you're in a, in a situation where you need to make decisions quick and you hope that they're the right ones. Um, but making some sort of decision is better than in, in action at all because inaction paralyzes people and definitely nothing positive comes out of that. Well, well, so when we powwow, you know, we're not sure how long it's going to last and we're not sure um, what the, you know, how the world's going to look like when we get out of it. So what do we do? Well, we're in the laboratory space, we're in testing and we look for a need because an entrepreneur looks to fill a need. You know, you're, it's not about making money, it's about mm -hmm. filling mm -hmm. something that's lacking, yeah. and then money follows, always mm -hmm. follows that. Mm -hmm. And so what was big on everyone's minds? Well, were they infected? And if they, and if mm -hmm. they were infected, did they have antibodies that would protect them so that they can go out and, and not be afraid? Well we immediately started looking at COVID testing because we knew mm -hmm. that there was plenty of, of demand for that out there. Mm -hmm. And um, and we were already set up to be able to provide that sort of testing. We just needed to kind of, our our personnel and our, mm -hmm. our workforce is skilled enough to do that testing. We just never had a demand for it before and was never on our radar. Well, it was definitely on our radar now. So immediately within the first week, we pow out and said, look, we need to get into testing. And so um, that's what we did and we, we put together a little task force within our company and uh, we identified the doctors that work for us that that know the most about um, this sort of testing and those that didn't we at least knew that they knew who to ask mm -hmm. and um, within weeks we were talking to vendors and we were setting up our areas of our lab that we were going to dedicate to this sort of testing and figuring out what personnel was going to be needed for it and 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 get and we were getting up and running so and then it goes back to what you were saying earlier it's connection it's all the people in your group that you work with all along and reaching out to them, reaching out to the doctors, reaching out to the researchers. Yeah. And you've taken so many leadership roles with so many of these different organizations. I know you are you chairman of the uh, pathologist group. Uh, for the, yeah, yeah, the Houston chapter of the pathology group, I'm the chair of it. Yeah, so you connect so. with all of these guys on what they're Definitely. doing and women. But what I am so also connected to is you were just elected as a director of the rodeo, which is such 
an amazing accomplishment and you've given so much and talk about starting in the trenches you were on the mutton busting committee and you like came up from rookie duty Um, we've had a lot of rodeo people on our show before and that's where we were when this COVID thing was breaking out you and you invited Rob and I to come see you at the barbecue and we're hanging out and we're wondering and then rodeo is shut down yeah but you still were able to give the scholarships and you have just tell us a little bit about like this giving back. It's not just about your business community. It's what you're doing in the community with everyone. Well, and I take that back to, you know, you, when you're trying to create a business, it's a, for a need and need mm-hmm. is not just in the services that you can provide, but also need is in, is in, um, connections. It's in financial uh-huh. assistance. Um, you know, need yes. comes in a lot of different shapes. Right. And, but so the, the, but the, the common vein that we all have is that we want to to provide something to help in that in the people that have that need and so charities and philanthropic um, donations and not just donating money but time donating expertise donating your energy um, all that stuff is is you know I'm very passionate about that and it helps define me and and I feel like it it helps give me the same satisfaction as as I would when you a new line of testing and it's and it and it becomes successful you, or, or needed I you mean, also have a charity that you're in charge of for children that have dermatological needs yeah so uh, it's called a children's house for the soul it's um it's kids that have uh any sort of skin condition that can be disfiguring or um and if you can imagine it's already tough enough being a kid um especially in today's society where you have social media and everyone in photoshopping and you know everyone is putting their picture out there and you got TikToks and all that stuff and the world looks so perfect through a phone you oh know, and through all the filters they have on the phones filters. now too the makeup and you can do this it's just it's insanity completely we spent our day right yesterday with our 13 year old talking about how she feels about herself based upon what the world's perception is of what she thinks she should look like yeah and it, we feel like we're strong parents but there's this this um, idea through social media of what they should be, and that's really tough. So, well, and you and contributed to it through some of the artwork that you were creating, which I thought was fascinating too. That you took something so ugly as cancer cells, yeah, and you made it art. Yeah, well, so where that all came together was, you know, these kids that have these skin conditions, you can't hide these skin conditions. Right. They are, they're, they're on their, a lot of it's involving their face, their hands, uh-huh. stuff that is very difficult to conceal. When you have some sort of internal problem, you know, you can easily mask that up with clothing or, you know, uh-huh. but with in a skin condition, it's, it's out there for the world to see. And, that, and so these kids already have enough pressure as it is just being a kid. And then you uh-huh. add that on it, it can be somewhat or almost unbearable. Well, this organization helps those kids to realize that they're that they're beautiful in, in the mm-hmm. way that they look. That there's other kids out there that are in similar position in similar situations that mm-hmm. they are, and that 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 they learn to to um, to feel, help each other get through their have a connection. That, Absolutely, they're the not connection, alone. That they're not alone. That um, that they are. You know they're not a monster or you know that yes. that there's other people out there going through the same thing and they can be they can identify with someone because sometimes you can't even identify with your parents because your parents don't even know what right. you're going through because you don't know what that. i feel we exactly. hear that a lot <laughs> completely so with that being said one of the campaigns that was the start of the organization mm-hmm. and we do a lot of great things with these kids but how i felt like i can contribute mm-hmm. was through um 
you know, financially helping support the, mm-hmm. the camps and whatnot that we send these kids to, but also helping. I started, you know, when it, when I was involved in, well, still in, in the Harris County Medical Society, they, about four years ago, they put out a call to arms. They were going to put a fundraiser together with a bunch of physicians called the Art of Healing. And they, um, and they were like, if you have an artistic talent and you're a doctor, let us know. We're going to put this like art show together. And it was very impromptu, you know, not, not well organized, but that's sort of how the great things start, right? So, yes. So we, I love it. We, uh, I was like, well, I'm not an artist, but I always, when I look at stuff under the microscope, a lot of the cells look really cool, like in a nerdy way. But that was like, you know, it's, and, and we grew up mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Marble and Granite where, mm-hmm. Where marble and granite has, you know, has a s- style to it and an uh-huh. artistic look to it in it of itself, and and uh, and I was like, you know, some of this stuff looks like a granite piece or a uh-huh. marble piece when you put different stains and whatnot. So I was like, I'm just going to take a picture of one and submit it in as art, quote unquote, artwork, and see what happens. Well, I did, and it ended up getting a lot of positive feedback, and people were very interested and wanted to know what it was, and and um, and so with that, then came, well, what if we what if we took some of these photos of these kids' skin conditions under a microscope and we actually showcased them as not being a monster or not being something that they should be afraid of or ashamed of, but that they should take a lot of pride in it, that they're unique, that they're, that they're a special person and that, that they can give a lot back to, to the, to the con- in, because of the condition that they have. And so we had um, three girls come in and I, we took biopsies of their skin conditions and we took photos of it and then we had a dressmaker come in and we put the prints of those photographs onto a dress and then we threw a fashion show and had them come in and it was almost it was it was as if they were showcasing their own condition oh my god i'm gonna cry i never even knew about this you have so many tricks up your sleeve you don't even it was really cool and we did (laughs) it and where and when you're gonna have a fashion show where are you gonna do it new york city so (gasps) so we flew them down to new york city And we got them in front of uh, one of the fashion designers and we did a runway show and CBS Morning News picked it up and they did a full um, story on it, which made the girls even more famous almost. Yeah, exactly. And so instead of then being ashamed of what they had, they became very proud of what they had. And actually, you know, and that and that was empowerment. And and so it, it turned out really well. And and I guess going back to, you know, that is a need that these kids had and we were able to help fulfill that mm-hmm. and they did a lot of the work they did most of the work but we just gave them the tools to do it mm-hmm. but it was very enriching and at the end of the day you know that's what life's all about it's not um you know it's not how much you know numbers are in a bank statement um it's not you know uh what kind of car you drive or or how many homes you you have it's how many lives have you affected how many emotions have you have you helped um you know change and create and made positive and and then, you know, when you look back in your life and you say, what did I accomplish? Well, those are the, those are the things you remember and those are the things that, you know, are the most fulfilling. And it's crazy, too. Um, I didn't do a lot of philanthropic work until I was married with my wife. <laughs> and I learned that the more we've given, the more we've received. And that's not our original intention when we did it, when we started giving. But it's crazy how goodness brings greatness. And yeah. by helping out, it's just it's it's magical. I mean. Your art, little art projects turn these children into um, artists and fashionistas, yeah. and you change their whole spirit and their whole outlook on their life, and you were able to raise money to help other children through doing all of this, and you did it out of goodness, but goodness brought greatness, and you helped the kids. It's just, it's, 
you're almost making me cry. But I go hunting and fishing with you, too, so we're not going to get into that, all right? That's a whole other side of it. These guys showing their emotional side. Well, speaking of emotional side, one of the most emotional journeys I've ever taken in my life, I did with you, is we all went to Italy, Sicily. Um, Last November, before COVID, what an opportunity to go. I was so sad your dad wasn't able to join us, but it was my dad's 80th birthday. And I guess we never even said clearly, our dads were business partners for 40 years, their whole lives. So, I mean, we grew up kind of parallel lives together. And we, it was almost as though being Italian and being an Aggie, which does not sound the same, but it was tradition, connection, loyalty, um, heritage. Those were all words that went with it. Tell Tell people about that trip and what it meant to you to see the humble origins of yes. our grandparents. Well, and I think it, it kind of then leads a little bit even more color to where we are today because of that. And um, I, I remember one of the things that most stood out about that trip um, was when we first got to Sicily and we made it over to Porto Alley and, and seeing the, the old town and that had been you know, decimated by an earthquake, but yet it was still somewhat in, it, it was almost as if it was frozen in time. And you remember we went and we were touring the town and we st- still saw the ambulance that was stuck into the yes. clinic that had not moved. It looked like it was just still sitting there. The classroom that had been dilapidated, but there were still lessons drawn in chalk on the on the chalkboard. I mean, it, it, was, it was as if this was a traumatic event that happened to this town that froze it in time. And then it literally, that that, those people had to pivot. They had mm-hmm. to move. They had to change their lifestyle at, where the day before they were thinking they were going to live there forever. And the next day, everything had completely changed. And our family was a part of that. And, you know, we saw the church that they had got married in. It was dilapidated, but it was still there. And then going from that tour and into the townhouse where with the new town that they rebuilt and the um, you know the mayor's office and where they kept all the records and how cool was it that they kept all of the records that they had in the old town they saved those and they still had them perfectly preserved and, and handwritten and, in the books not even pulling out microfish we're talking about literally what our grandparents signed completely so like not only did they have to move in this in this traumatic time but they but they knew the importance of preserving their history and they put so much emphasis on that and how cool is it for us generations later to come in there and they were pulling out marriage certificates of our grandparents. I mean, and the coolest, most memorable part of that experience was when the guy was like, you know, he was reading through it and it's all in Italian and he's translating for us. And he goes, you know, I want to point out something I think you'll find very interesting. Um, This is a line where they were supposed to sign their name for the marriage certificate. And if you notice, this isn't signed, it's it's in print. Someone had actually printed out their name. And he goes, that's significant for, for um, in the fact that they, that meant that they didn't know how to read and write, or they didn't know how to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and most likely if they didn't know how to write, they didn't know how to read. So, you know, your grandparents, when they got married, didn't know how to, re- it was a very good chance they didn't know how to read or write. And, and so look at them starting out life together without knowing how to read and write. And, and then immigrating to the United States. And then too. where they ended up, you That's know, crazy immigrating to the United States, starting it, you know, moving to a town, starting their own business, creating a successful family. Like, like just because 
you don't have the skill sets or the tools at the beginning doesn't mean that that has to be a crutch. That doesn't mean that it has to hold you back. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. And I think that that really seeing that history there showed mm-hmm. is really was uh, made us understand where the spirit of our family is and why we are as successful grit. as we are. Mm-hmm. Grit, give determination. Up. They did not give up. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that was really cool to see that. And and I, that was really the highlight of the historical aspect of, of that, of that trip. And, and then being able to see it with your cousins and uncles and aunts and stuff, that was really, really cool. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure when we'll go back there, but that will be a memory that I'll cherish forever. I mean, that just being able to, to, to see that part of yourself back then is, was special. And Italy was such a big, um, hot spot for this virus. And we, we normally go to Capri in the summer and Forte de Marmi, and we're not doing it. But our friends who are Italian say that the numbers there are lower. Can we go back to talking about this antibodies and what you're – I mean, we don't know the antibody will fix it. We don't – when can we travel? What are doctors – there's so much differing information. And that goes to the other part of our podcast, how do we know it's real? So many people are looking at COVID – and want to understand it. And there's so many differing opinions. You as a doctor, how are you deciphering what's well, real? So, you know, as a doctor, I'm just as confused as everyone else. <laughs> and and uh-huh. so and I think a, I think a big part of what is real is 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 being able to express that we don't know, uh-huh. you know, and that in and of itself is is, I, I think, uh, frustrating. But yet there's a sense of well, at least you're being honest about it. Uh-huh. And, and not knowing, knowing that you don't know is knowledge in and of itself. Um, but, we, but we don't know. And, and I, I, I want to say, I, we'll go through all the things we don't know. We don't know that having antibodies actually gives some sort of protective immunity. Uh-huh. Um, we're still learning a lot about that. Um, you know, the CDC's come out with recommendations say that to doctors, we, we, gotta, we get an email out every day from the... Um, AMA, American Medical Association, with sort of highlights of the day and mm-hmm. whatnot, and I, I tend to use that as one of the beginnings of my day, just kind of sc- scroll through that and see if there's something I need to know. Mm-hmm. And just recently, with the explosion of antibody testing, they had in a little article that said, you know, um, don't put too much, don't give your patients too much security mm-hmm. in the result of this antibody test. Um, and then they went through all the reasons why, and, you know, us being in the lab and offering that test, um, I wanted to make sure I was on the top of being able to, I don't want to give anyone false security. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give anyone false hope. Um, and, but that's where we're at right now is we don't know if that test comes back, if it's positive, it's, if it truly means you're positive, there's, um, other viruses that we can get that, um, those antibodies can, can cross react with. So you, even though the test says you're positive, it doesn't really, it's testing, it's getting tricked by the antibodies in your blood. And so you, you're really not positive, meaning you're not protective. You don't have antibodies there. And so that is becoming more prevalent and something that we're going to hear more about in the news about people that said, well, my test was positive. I thought it was okay. And then I went out there and I ended up getting 
sick again. And, and you went to Missouri to that big beach party and everybody's exactly, rubbing Exactly, I thought I was good. Chugging beers together. And, and next thing I know, I come back and I'm sick and, and I'm in the hospital and, you know, they say that I have the virus and I'm like, Are there can't. two strains? Because we've heard there's a couple of strains. Is that your belief as a doctor? There, there is research out there that says there is a, a different types of strains and the and depending on the strain you have um, is uh, influences the severity of your disease. Um, but again, that is just now getting characterized. So, you know, w- until we have further research on that, it's kind of hard to, to, to really no. talk it's about. A, it's yeah. a moving target. It's a definitely Share moving target. Share about our friends in Vail. Oh, so we have some good friends in Vail. We were heading up spring break and we're talking to them. And they're like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We were going to drive up to go to spring break and ski. We get a call the day before we're going to leave. Hey, Rob, um, I've got COVID. So does a friend of mine. So do 19 other people that was at a wedding of theirs last summer. And it happened that there were a bunch of skiers that had flown in from Italy that everything in Vail is tight. The bars are tight. You're, You're sitting next to people in line for a long period of time. It, it just it transferred amongst many, many, many people. But of all the people we know in Vail that got infected, we only knew one person um, that died. Um, he was a musician that played in, um, in the bars at night. He had a drinking and cocaine problem. He was also almost 70 years old. But the other people we know were all very healthy young people. Well, young meaning some of them, most of them were in their 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. some in their 60s. But they made it through. And... Um, crazy that you wouldn't think of the little town of Vale, but the whole um, Summit County area really got hit hard. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I think that that's something to put in perspective at the end of the day is not to say that we shouldn't be cautious and protective of those around us. But, you know, the relative, you know, morbidity, mortality mm-hmm. of this disease is not is not extreme. I, I think that the bigger aspect of why we're taking and people are like, well, you know, the why are we shutting down the economy? Why are we doing what we're doing? And and I, I, it's it's for a couple reasons. One is that it's not the fact that you're going to die from this. It's the fact that you're going to get sick enough that you have to go to a hospital and you're taking a bed away from someone that mm-hmm. really needs it. Mm-hmm. So it's not the fact you're going to die from coronavirus. It's the fact that when you have a heart attack, you can't get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. When you get to the hospital, there's no one there to take care of you. You don't can't get on a ventilator because they're all taken up by someone else. It's when you get in a car wreck and they're and the doctor's consumed with you know um, intubating someone that's got pneumonia and he can't take care of your bleed. It's it's that our healthcare resources are being funneled away, taking care of a bunch of sick people that they can't that they're not being utilized for trauma, co- trauma or other conditions that everyone has every day. Mm-hmm. So. You know that that is the main factor of of doing what we're doing is to make sure that we that we protect our you know uh, limited healthcare resources and, and give them to the people that need the most. So, with that being said, I think when it comes to these antibody testings and the tests that we have, that we know that there's false positives, false negatives, and we're not sure that even if you have the actual antibodies, does that mean you're not going to get you're protected against new strains? Mm-hmm. You right. know, I mean, just because you get flu. Last year doesn't yeah. mean you're just cured from flu forever, right? You you can get flu every year. And so and sometimes you can get flu twice in a year because you got one strain and then and then it mutated or or you you were traveling in a different part of the country at a different strain and that's why flu vaccines aren't just one strain that they create the vaccine on. They create the vaccine on multiple different strains mm-hmm. and they hope the ones that it has the vaccine for are covered by the ones that you get. So, and just because you get the vaccine doesn't mean you don't get the flu. Many people get a vaccine and still get flu. But, so you can't necessarily, there's no silver bullet. 
there's no just test that's going to say you mm-hmm. are protected, that you can do whatever you want, that you are Superman now. You still have to be cautious and you have to realize that we all have to do our part to make sure that we are, that we don't consume our resources on an illness that can be preventable if we can just take precautions on it. Wash our hands more, social distancing, which is challenging for us because we're all uh, people people. We like to, especially in your Italian family, we say hello, everybody gives kisses and hugs and does all that. And I see you now and I, we bump elbows or we bump feet, you know, and it's just, we gotta wash our hands 10, 15, 20 times a day to try to bend the curve. Yeah, and I think I think the biggest problem that us as humans, and especially we talk about Italians, but you know people talk about we they they joke about it. Uh, you know, Italians means all affection, but it, but it really is true. We we have a lot of affection in our families. That there is a sense of being alone in this thing, even though you're around other people, because there's not the sense of human touch. And, you can't hug, and you can't hug, and and or even feeling like you can be too close to someone, or you might you know get them infected, or you might hurt someone, and I mean it's not more apparent than your our parents i haven't really hung out with my mother and you know months since all this happened because i'm afraid that you know if I, if i did have something i don't want to give it to her cuz i don't want to be the cause of her getting sick so you know that and and they were i read an article about the people that are hurting the most are the elderly because not that they're afraid about getting sick it's because everyone's afraid of being they're with missing them missing their grandkids yeah. and their kids and all of that and i think that's well, we- really the it is it's one of the most sad consequences of it and we are pivoting obviously with our business but also with our way of connecting his mom's birthday 80th birthday is in wisconsin and we are driving instead of flying because we don't feel comfortable being on a plane and then going to see her yeah although we might be on a plane but given that and then we're also going to Vail to see the family so I feel like lifestyles are changing and it's not all bad. Like I said in the beginning, now we have for eight weeks, we had lunch and dinner with Bella. Whereas before we were all so busy with our schedules or travel or whatever. I haven't traveled in three months or four months. There's I, some days I ask him to travel. Yes. And There's I used some to, days he wants yeah, to travel. I used to travel 150 <laughs> to 200 days a year. And now I have a seven day a week, 24 hour a day wife, which is wonderful. <laughs> Abs- the greatest thing ever. But... It's um it's a new reality and how we have yeah. to learn and deal with our skills and people skills with those that are we're in the same room with all the time now or and the it, ones that we can't spend any time with. And we've yeah. really changed the way we connect with our audience too as a business. I mean, he was he was always going to shows and out there and and we love to have parties at our store. We're not doing that anymore, but we're reaching out through this podcast in different ways and we found that Interestingly, I was kind of embarrassed even in the or I thought it was inappropriate to talk about luxury when this came out. Yeah. But then I realized that people look at fashion and style as a creative outlet. Yeah. That it and it doesn't have to be and we we like you said, we're I'm so much more excited if I get to see someone and talk to them in the store, even if they don't buy anything, than I am for an order to come in on the website. So I too am like completely affected by connection and that's what I've missed the most but uh, I feel like that we're in this place now that luxury is different how do you are are you traveling what's luxury to you now like where where are you Um, going what are you doing I'll tell you what's luxury to me so and that's a good question and and we the reason I'm sort of I have a smirk on my face is because I was joking with a friend of mine uh, just the other day and he was like man I think that you 
you're digging this COVID thing more than anyone <laughs> that I've ever seen. And I'm like, I actually, I really am. I said, like, this has been a positive thing in my life in a weird and, and morbid way. But, you know, I, I remember looking at my calendar before rodeo and we were trying to plan a, a trip with my brothers to go fishing in Florida. And literally I could not get a weekend open to go with them for four months. It was four months. It's sad, and, yes. And it was kind of like a, wow, I cannot believe that my life is to a point mm-hmm. that I have to schedule stuff out with my brothers four months in advance in order for us to do something. Like, that's insane. It is. And and you get, but you know, you get involved in life and you never say no and that's my problem. And, you know, and then you get involved in a million organizations. Well, those million organizations have events and, and, they, and they do well in planning early. And so your schedule starts to get picked up, you know, six, eight months, a year in advance. And then you're like, well, okay, I tell you what, I can't do 2021, but 2022. That's looking good. We're, we're good. Well, I mean, that, that's a problem. And, it, and if, it's con- if it's not consciously, it's subconsciously. It weighs on at least me anyway in, in a sense that I just felt like I was always didn't have any free time. Because even though even my free time was not really free. And I like to be somewhat spontaneous. Well, when your schedule is booked up four months in advance, that's not spontaneous, right? So there was a sense that I just was getting a little overwhelmed by all my commitments. And COVID just basically dropped everything. And, like, there's times I was laughing because I'd go to my calendar and, like, for the next month, I'd be like, well, what do I got going on? I'm like, oh, actually, nothing. And then I'm, like, canceling, like, 20, 30 events. And I'm like, man, that is stuff that I would be normally doing. And then now... I mean, I can't tell you how nice and how long it's been since I was just, I've been on the couch just watching a movie, you know, mm-hmm. or cooking because I would be at home. I'd be going out to dinners almost every night. I mean, I'd have dinners four or five, three, four nights out of every week. And now, you know, focusing more on eating healthier and, you know, planning, cooking, just relaxing, chilling, mm-hmm. feeling like I wake up and I don't have a million things scheduled. I mean, just on your psyche, that is very liberating. And so, it's worked out well for me. I, you know, started working out more and doing mm-hmm. the things that I felt like was more for me. And, and so my buddy was just like, man, do you look happier, you know, in better shape than I've ever seen you? And I'm like, yeah, man, this COVID thing is rocked. Yes, COVID, you know, COVID fit, not COVID fat. Yeah, COVID yes. fit. Yeah. I know. I love Rob's new and facial hair and he's riding 20 miles uh, in a day or more, a few days a week. And so it has been, although every pound he's dropped, I feel like I've picked up, but well, you still have looked the perfect, the same to me as usual. La la la. <laughs> well, um, on that note, we need to have a moment and wish Rob a happy birthday. We're going to, he is officially 54. I think I'm 45, but that's just like six. I'm uh, 54. Yes, 54 years young and fit, and I'm riding 100 miles a week on my bicycle. <laughs> Because yes. there's nothing else to do in the morning to get to the office. I can't go to my gym with my buddies, have the, my breakfast uh, with my yeah, buddies. Exactly. So we ride our bikes. Back. Hey, like Here I said, co-fit. Oh, 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 I'm dropping it all. Well. Okay, so we're going to give Rob all these cupcakes, and we're just going to sing a quick happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to so you. So this is Danae's uh, way of saying that she's tired of her the ones eating this stuff and you look yeah, off it, so, she, it us. so this is a that. this is a gift to her exactly yes. uh, thank you yes <laughs> well um john we love you because you're family but also because of what you do to give back to the community and you've 
led so many people to great places and you continue to do it. And I, um, I feel like you're so real. Do you have any parting words to give to people about how you figure out who's real in your life and what's real and how to do it? Because you seem to just, uh, we went to your birthday last week and you're friends with these guys that you've been friends with forever, but you have all these new friends and you're constantly connecting with people. What, what's your secret sauce? Gosh, I don't know. I think that, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know if I have a really good answer for it, but, um, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, you, it's just an internal feeling that you have, you know, you, you grow up and, and you've been, you, you get, uh, you interact with all different types of things in your life, positive, negative, neutral, and you just have a sense of what feels right. And you know what, it's like your body, your mental, you know, your subconscious or conscious telling you that that's a good person or that's a good move or that's, you know, that's where you need to be. And I feel like when I follow that intuition, it, it usually more likely than not is the right one. And, um, and I end up being, putting myself in a better position than when I don't follow your, it. Your lifetime friends are the ones that have been with you through the good times, great times, and also the adverse or bad times. Absolutely. Because, um, well, that's when you, how you know they're a friend when they're, I mean, it's easy to hang out with someone when they're on top. It's uh-huh. hard to hang out with them when they're on the bottom. And these times right now, one of my good friends um, just had to close his restaurant, Barry's Pizza. 37 years in business, great guy, Barry Childers, wonderful guy, family man, known him forever. And I talked to him today and he's like, this COVID thing shut me down, this was my plan. And it's like, buddy, I'm there to help you, let's figure out a new plan. Um, he's, he's looking for a pivot now to figure out where to go and what he should do because this threw a curveball, but he's not giving up. He's like, I wanna sit and talk, Let's figure out another plan of attack. He's a great businessman, well, and we're thrown into this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, we talked, we chatted a little bit before the podcast got started about him. And, you know, what, what are the comp- some of the things that, that you said that he was that he was complaining about was that the extremely high rent that he had in that, in that area, all the overhead he had. I mean, all that stuff was probably something that was on his shoulders every day before this even happened. Mm-hmm. And so this, this could be used as an opportunity for him to have a restart, to get rid of all that stuff that kind of kept him down, that was that pressure over his shoulders, and reinvent his product so that he doesn't have so much um, liabilities and, and pressure to meet certain things just to, just to stay above water. And so, I mean, my good advice to someone that's in that position is use this as a, as a restart. Use this to, to kind of wipe the slate clean and, and, to, and to, you know, learn from what you've done in the past and get rid of all the negative aspects that you had and fill it with a lot of the positive stuff that, you know, that makes you happy and that you think is going to make, is going to put you in the best If you can build it once, you can build it again. Completely. I mean, he's got a great product. He's got a loyal following. That and should be easy to bring back. In one situation doesn't mean your journey's ended it just means it's part of the journey and you have another place to go oh i mean you can't have success without failure i mean because if you don't how do you know what success is exactly and i feel so blessed to have you as our first podcast guest talk about pivoting our new podcast living the authentic life we're going to be incorporating it into our business we're going to still do facebook lives one o'clock on mondays and we're doing uh, YouTube videos on authenticity that you can check out on our YouTube station. Wednesday, we have Wacky Watch Wednesday. We, Rob and I are wacky, not the watches. And he shares so many great watches. And then Thursdays, we'll be here at 10 o'clock for the podcast. And then the weekends, we'll be taking it on the road or showing you our personal lives because we believe that 
uh, authentic life isn't just about products, it's about people and connection. And we feel so blessed to connect with all of you. And thank you, John. Well, thank you all. This has yeah. been excellent. Thanks for coming in. This has been my first podcast, so Yay! I'm really excited about that. And too. I'm so happy I stuck my finger in the icing and now I get to eat it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.